the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. It's obvious, it's worldwide, it's overwhelming, but it's also indisputable. Let's go look to the last part of verse 20. It says, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through that what was made, so that they are without excuse. So what that's primarily saying is that there is no excuse for them not to at least believe that there is a God, that something had to be behind all of this, and to want to seek a little bit more with that. And I, I hope that maybe you're now saying, I'd love to do it. I'd love to know more. Let me give you a little plug here. On Wednesday nights, the men are studying. There's not a large group of guys, but a committed group of guys are coming together underneath this umbrella of, of a men's study. And it's simply this, that they want to be strong in God's word so they can properly lead their life, lifeguards, and their families lifeguards of them and so they're learning scripture but what they're learning about scripture is the veracity of scripture and so we've been studying a great deal on creation and how God made the world and how that it all fits in and it is scientifically proper to believe that and we can accept that because we want people to know that as we're studying God that there is a reason why we believe it so we study the word and now we're going to do what God has to say and last Wednesday night we had a wonderful discussion on what's the value of having apologetics spoken to those who already know Christ as Savior. And talk to Scott and a bunch of the guys here, and they'll tell you the value that you get from just doing that, how blessed that is. So, what man does when now he gets all of this revealed to him? Now, this is what you want to see, because what does man do in a response? Most of us, as Christians, will say, Wow, God made it. God made this. God Almighty made this. The eternal power and divine nature. God made this. But what does the world do? If you will, if you don't mind for just a moment, go back to verse 18. The first thing they do is they suppress it. They put it down. Verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Well, maybe this will help you to understand what's, what's going on. Suppressing the truth is like holding the truth down. It would be like covering it up. I like the word cover up rather than hold down. Because I don't know that you can hold down truth because I think truth is so powerful that it will get out. It's like love. You can't throw rocks at love. God's love, agape love. It will get out. Truth. You cannot, you can maybe contain it for a while, but it, it, it'll, it'll come out. You can't kill truth. But you can cover up truth. And some of you are old enough to remember years ago what we call the Watergate. Remember the Watergate thing with Nixon? Now, we didn't understand the Watergate thing was kind of a bad thing that Nixon did, but you know what we really remember more than anything? It wasn't the Watergate of him breaking in and getting that information. You know what it really was? It was what? The covering it up. Do you remember that? Most of us know about Benghazi now. We're kind of hearing that a lot on the news, and I don't know how long this will be recorded and how many years from now you're going to listen to this tape, but 
they, we know what's happened, and we know that's a bad thing that's happened, but you know what's got people so upset about? It's this perceived and real cover-up of not getting all the facts that are done. And so what happens now is that you can't stop the truth of God, but what's happening to these people, what are they doing with this revelation, is that they're covering it up. And they do it in so many different ways, through writings and all the rest. So they're trying to suppress, put down, cover up the truth. That's how man tries to uh, deal with the revelation. Of course, you and I know they can do all that they want, but they can never stop the truth. Um, when I speak publicly to a, a group that has mostly unsaved people in it, before I even get into my message, and generally it's going to have the gospel in there, the plan of salvation, I like to quickly throw out that I believe the Bible is God's mind on paper, historically, prophetically, scientifically. Watch this now. Longevity and saleability of the Bible is number four. And the reason I say that is because if this was not true, if they were able to truly extinguish truth, we wouldn't have the Bible today. It would be some archaic little historical book of some religious writings in some distant moldy library. But it's not. It is truth. And so it sells more books than any other books. It's translated, of all the things translated, the Bible has been translated in more languages because it is living, it's real. Those four, science, prophecy, history, and saleability, that's all objective reasons of why we know the Bible. The fifth is because it's worked in our own life. So while men will try to cover up the truth, they cannot fully cover it up nor extinguish it. Let's go to the second. What do they try to do? The third thing is they try, or the second thing they try to do is to ignore it or reject it. Let's go down to verse 21. It says, For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him or give Him the value or the glory that was due Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Now underline that. That's the flame going down. All right, They were futile in their speculations. They tried to speculate about how there is no God, but they were futile because they can't do it. All the atheists are dead, but there are still Christians that are alive today. And their foolish heart was darkened. But the point I wanted you to see, how do they do this? How do they ignore the truth? They do it by not honoring God or giving God His glory. They don't give God glory for who He is. Of course they don't. And they don't give thanks. They don't give glory and they don't give thanks to the Lord. Let me pause for a moment and uh, not park so much on the glory of the Lord. I think you get that. But when you say they don't thank God... I did a lot of thinking about thanking God for, for a while. And when, I, and when we're thankful, see if you agree with me. When I genuinely, and I'm grateful for, for you, that you did something for me, or you, you, you gave me something, and I say thank you for that, and I'm really genuinely thankful, there's something going on in my heart. What's happening right now is I had a need. I could not meet that need. You either gave that to me or you said something instructionally to me so I could do something better. In other words, I was less without that that you did for me. So I'm nothing or less and you did this for me. What's happening then is I'm expressing thankfulness to you. But you don't show thankfulness. That means you're as good as them or better than them or you don't need them. And that's what's happening right here. They're rejecting God. They're ignoring God because in their mind they think that they don't need God because they don't believe in God. And that's where this comes in when they don't give glory to the Lord and they don't thank the Lord. You're going to see that one more time later on in our passage today. Here's the third is, is that man then begins to replace the truth. Follow along, if you will, in verse 23, 22. Let's just go to 22 for just a second. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Um, for just a moment here, I want to give all of you cautions that when you go to a second university, you already know that most of them, are, there's a culture in those second universities that is the very best, they're non-God. 
the very the, the middle is they're anti-God, and the very worst is they're militantly anti-God. Now, I don't want to speak for every professor and every staff member in a secular university, but I'm talking about a general culture. I think you'll agree with me. But students that come in, they, they come in with an automatic mindset that, that that professor knows more than they do. And the answer is probably true. They do. They just don't know biblical truth more than the kids. They look at all the credentials, the books that they have written. They're published. These professors have been around. They've been tenured. They're talked about. They know how to kind of shuck and jive in class to really win the hearts of the students. So they profess to be wise. But in reality, when you compare all of that personality and all that information up against solid truth, they are fools. And that's why scripture says, the fool in his heart said there is no God. So they replace them. Let's go a little bit further because it gets worse. It says, and they exchange, the, these people, the secularists, they ex- exchange the glory of the Lord because they don't give him glory, they don't give him thanks. The incorruptible God, underline incorruptible. I mean, so no matter what the world tries to do to taint God, they can't taint God. It says, for an image in the form of corruptible man. So in other words, they take corruptible, incorruptible God and now they make God a man. But man is corruptible. And how many people today are following some kind of a man-made leader? And we could go all, all the way back to the great religions of the world, and that now trickled down to the great cults of the world, where either Jesus is uh, less than God or their leader is equal to Jesus. All right, but, ne- but, but at the same time, it's corruptible man. Then it says, and of birds, of four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. If you want to do a study this afternoon in the book of Genesis, and you're going to see that the same list that's found in Genesis of what God made, God made, God made, they then choose to worship what God made instead of God who made what God made. And that's what's happening here in that same list. So it goes on a little bit further in the passage. Drop down to verse 25. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie... And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And I love that. The amen is for the who is blessed forever. Amen. Now let's go back up to the they believed the lie and then they worshiped the created. If you will look up here for just a moment. When it says here they believed, in your Bible it might say a lie. In the Greek it's a definite article. Most Greek scholars will say that. So it's now saying it's not just any old lie. They're believing the lie. So your question is, is what lie? If it's the lie that they believe. So now we begin to create our own little answer to that question. What lie could it be? I would suggest if you would go all the way back to the first mention principle, go to the Old Testament and find out when was the first lie ever said. And what that first lie, if you unpack that lie, it's basically this. One is, you're as good as God. There's really no God. You can doubt God. He really didn't say that. You're not going to get whacked anyway if you disobey God. So the whole lie is to diminish or question God and at the same time elevate, watch this, your knowledge of good and evil to make you equal or better than God. That's the lie. So that's what was going on here. Now, when it talks about they've taken the things that God has made, what's not in here is the word idol necessarily. But that's what they're doing. They're idolizing. Now, stay with me for a moment, if you will, on this. We have two kinds of uh, idols in our world today. One idol is going to be what we call the crude idol. The second idol is going to be the cultured idol. The crude idol is the idol that's really found out, and I'm going to just stereotype it, I apologize for everybody, but the jungles. 
And so now you've got people that go to those jungles and they find these little artifacts that are out there that at one time, and maybe a little tacitly today, are still seen upon as having special power, so they must be gods. Now, let me pause and give you parentheses. Whatever power any crude idol has, it's the power that Satan's given to them, and there's plenty of illustrations of that in Scripture, because God does not set up any other idol He's the only God. Let's go back. So now they take this archaeological find. They bring it here. They set it up into a museum. We all come and we look at look at those idols that they had. Then what we do is we end up making copies of those. They sell them in the gift shops. We bring them home. We put them in our houses and say, this is what it's like. If you need it in our culture, how many people have got tiki dolls somewhere going on? I don't want to make a big deal over this, but what I want to say is we've taken some of these crude idols, we bring it now, and we look at these things, and we don't realize that there were men, women, boys, and girls that were so duped by Satan that they lived according to a belief system, lived according to that belief system, and I'll say they died according to it too, based on that idol that now we have. Now, don't go home and have to burn all that stuff you have in your house, but ask yourself, do I really need it? Well, let me go back to this. My real main message is, yeah, crude idols. So we look at those poor crude people in the jungles and we say, oh, how bad they are, but I would like to now talk about cultured idols. Now, today we have cultured idols. In fact, there's a TV program called American... Um, American what? <laughs> Idol, okay? Now, we make a joke out of that, but there are a lot of kids that they're going to dress that way, talk that way, live that way, live their whole life that way. And now you've got television shows where you have parents that are now trying to drive their little children to become like these and putting them out as those kinds of things. So they're looking at physical beauty as an idol, power as an idol, position as an idol, possessions are an idol, power source in a position is an idol. So we have our own little cultured idols because we don't have God any longer because we're trying to suppress that truth, remember, trying to put that truth down. So now we still have, watch this, needs in our life because there's that God-shaped void that's there that God says, I'll fill that need. We don't have it, so we try piling all this stuff into our life. It's not really working. So then we turn our life into an intimidation, manipulation of other people around us so that we can have that need of selfishness met because ultimately then the real idol is you and me, ourselves. All right, verse 26 says, For this reason God gave them over to, and now he talks about unrighteousness. Man is guilty of unrighteousness. And there are three ways that he gives them over. He gives them over to wrong loving. Find it in verse uh, 26. For this reason, of all that we said, all that kind of exchanging the truth of God for the lie, exchanging uh, this uh, incorruptible God for corruptible man, for this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. And so here it would be loving, wrong loving, immoral passions. Some of you might have a hard time with giving them over. Maybe I could explain it this way. Um, when God gave them over, he didn't give up on them. It said he gave them over. He didn't say he gave them up. He gave them over. We brought in a girl into our life as, quote, a daughter. And here on the island, for you uh, people that are not local, they're called Hanai, Hanai brother, Hanai father, Hanai sister, Hanai daughter, son, Hanai. She came in when she was 17, lived in a bus, an old bus behind a building. Didn't do drugs, didn't do sex, didn't do smoking, didn't do drinking. She was just abandoned by her parents who just verbally abused her for so many years because she was a stepkid and illegitimate and all that. So she just ran away to this bus. 
and we brought her in. And so we began to teach her. We brought her around the church. She was a quick study, very smart person. Emotional issues for sure, but she had all of that going. By the time she was 18, she had a lot taught. Carol would do all the girly things with her, teach her how to wear makeup and how to wear right clothes and how to be a, a girly girl, you know. And my job was to be the bad cop, you know, <laughs> and be the disciplinarian, teach her about the Bible, te- take care of her academic skills, all right. So she taught her about social, I taught her more of the other. Okay, we get all that together. There are times when she's 18, she's still struggling with this so many years of independence, and now she's underneath authority, that she wanted to do her own thing. So finally, after we understood where she was, I remember very distinctly, I'd look her right in the face and I'd say, Beverly, and she would tell you this if she was here today, so this is permission with hers. I would look at her and I'd say, Beverly, um, you want to go do this right here? This is what you think is right? You know what we have modeled in front of you. You know what we've taught you, mentored you. This is what the word has to say. But you are now 18, 19, going off to Bible college, needless to say. But her choices weren't wise at this particular time. And so I finally said, I'm going to IYL you. And she said, what does IYL mean? I said, for now on, when I use that term, Beth, this is what I mean by that. Because I'm not going to get in a shouting match with you. I'm not going to lose my temper. I'm not going to lose any sleep over this. I've given you unto the Lord. So IYL means it's your life. It's your life. And what I mean by that is mom and I will always love you. It's your life. But we will not, watch this, watch this, we will not bail you out of the consequences because you made the wrong choice. So if you go to jail, we'll see you when we can. But I'm not going to weep in my car every time I see you. It's your life. You know. You, you make your choices. So what we did is we didn't give up on Bev. We just gave Bev over. Now, you should have seen her face when I said that. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay, hon, I love you. Hugged her. I went on. I didn't carry it. Two or three days later, you know what? She gave in to her dad. She's okay, I don't need to do that. Now, she's done that every single time. The last was the most hard, most difficult, because she was proposed to, to be married by a guy who, in my opinion, is a jerk. And so she was asking for permission. So we went through the litany of what's your list before you got married of what you wanted to have in a life partner and had you prayed about it. And then we went through all the qualifying templates that, that we've worked through earlier on before this would even come into her life. And there were some major pukas in this thing, big holes in this whole thing that, uh, from her perspective. She didn't, she didn't do When it was all said and done, I said, Bev, you're a big girl now. She's in the 30s. And I said, okay, IYL. It's your life. Less than a month later, she came crying on the phone and she said, you know what, you are so right. I got rid of this jerk. Dad, please help me. How do I give him the ring back? And so we went through that. Why am I telling you that? That's an earthly illustration of adult children and sometimes some friends in your life that you have to give them over to the choices that they make rather than spending all your money and your time to, quote, pad the very cell that God wants them to have some pain. And watch this, watch this. Not because God wants us to have pain. I didn't want our daughter to go through any pain in her life. Who, who would? I'm not a masochist. We're not cruel. Neither are you. But sometimes that little bit of pain gets them to another level in their life of the fullness of God's greatness. And that would be it. And folks, I am going to stop here because I've got to do communion and I want to get into that. But uh, we'll pick this up again next week. If you're not going to be here next week, you can get it on the uh, email. Uh, or internet. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I don't want it just to be, we're in the class, pack up your books, put it in your book bag, and let's go home. This is a sermon. This is a sermon that was intent on 
giving you information for sure, giving you information with, with I hope, uh, love. I know my heart was loving you. I hope with passion because I am passionate about God and I'm aware of His wrath. I'm also aware of His divine nature and His eternal power and how He reveals Himself to us. And Folks, I want you to know God. I want you to know Christ. I want you to know the greatness of the Lord in your life that no matter how far you have fallen, no matter how many times you have in your own life suppressed the truth and you believed the lie, that you are still redeemable that you still have a do-over with God now. That God loves you. And while you may even be sitting here today or listening to me, and you're now living the consequences of it's your life and you walked away from what your own conscience said, what others spoke in your life about, and now it's, you're swimming in regret. God loves you. And if you need a proof... Just go in your mind's eye and see Jesus on the cross as God the Father then abandoned him for that one moment where the wrath of God fell on the Son of God because that wrath of God was meant for you and me and Jesus took it all in our place so that he could offer to you the full forgiveness of sin in heaven and an eternal relationship with him. So my friend, I pray right now you will run to the Lord in your mind. And you'll simply say, Lord, I've blown it. I've been like these secularists at times. I thought I was thinking right. I believe what others told me and I began to believe the lie. And I do not want to be foolish. And so right now, I can see there's got to be a creator behind what's been created. And I want to know you and I thank you that you have spoken to me in your word, the Bible. And I thank you that I could have eternal life by faith alone. So Lord, I come to you right now as a sinner in need of a Savior. I come to you knowing that I am separated from you and will spend eternity in hell if I do not trust you as Savior. I come to you now knowing that no good deed I do, religious or social, will ever get me into your forever family. I'm coming to you desperate in need of you to just grant me sovereignly your forgiveness. And so, Lord, I want to thank you for what you've done for me on the cross, but I'm thanking you also because of that now you're in my life. You are my Savior because I'm trusting in you. And that momentary childlike faith, Lord, activated my own eternality with you forever. I thank you that I might suffer some discipline in this life and loss of rewards in the next life. But I will never suffer the loss of eternal life and of you being my Savior and a home in heaven. And so, Lord, I come to you now thanking you for that. And my friend, if there's anyone here today that's calling upon the Lord in your own little way to trust Christ, it's not a prayer, it's a mental transaction. And you would see that what makes the good news so good is that the bad news is so bad. But then that makes the good news so good again. Would you trust Christ as your Savior? I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand. Now, raising your hand won't save you. Walking an aisle, filling out a card, me praying for you or anyone else won't ever get you into God's family. And so we're not going to have you do any of that except maybe slip up your hand in a moment. And by that, 
a silent way to let me know that you're trusting Christ. Be nice if you filled it out and put it on a card, but again, that's just something you do after the fact of trusting Christ. And me praying for you is already just welcoming you into God's family. You're already there. I'm just saying welcome. You're already in the house. I'm just saying welcome. So there be anyone here today that's ready to put their faith in Jesus Christ. You believe in his eternal power that was displayed especially on Calvary when Jesus died and rose again. His divine nature of loving you from the guttermost to the uttermost. And you'd like me now to pray for you because you've trusted Christ today. With heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. Would you slip up your hand if today's the day you're calling upon the Lord? All right, Christians, for you, we are so excited about these truths, knowing them that we've been delivered from the wrath that's to come. But there still is a judgment for us as believers, and it won't determine whether we go to heaven or not. It will determine the rewards that we get and the amount, ruling and reigning and other things. So maybe it's time for us to be careful about the truth that we have in Scripture and that we will not believe the lie occasionally in our own life. That we don't think, speak, and act like there is no God or we're as good as God or we know better than God or that we don't need God. And maybe today the Lord is speaking to you that there's some things in your life you need to change as a believer in Christ. And by His power, you will do that. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand for prayer. I'm just going to pray for all of us, and me included, that we will walk as a revelation of the reality of God to those around us. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.